0: Shop-os. It's Amber, and uh, I'm here with Will Meneker. Hello. And we have two very special guests with us today, uh, the authors of People's Republic of Walmart, Lee Phillips and Michal Roswalski. Hello. Hello. <laughs> did I did I racism your name?
1: I don't know if you can racism Eastern Europeans.
0: I mean, I could try. <laughs> yeah. If anyone could, it's me.
1: We'll give it a shot. <laughs> okay. You have an hour to do this. Yeah. So.
0: Okay, so... um. We actually are really excited by this book because a lot of the questions we kind of get about socialism and about communism more broadly is like, well, how are we going to organize the economy? And there's a lot of like nuts and bolts questions that people are they really like the idea of socialism, but they don't necessarily know how everything's Mm -hmm. going to fit together. And you do need people to figure those things out. People that are good at math and science. And, uh, we, um, you know, I mean, I'm not good at anything. yeah, no, we, we get stoned and watch Tarkovsky movies. That's our thing. (laughs) Um, so we're happy to have, um, you know, more sciencey minded technical people here with us to explain it to us, uh, during which we will glaze over, but kind of try and repeat at dinner parties. But I guess to start out, you guys started with Walmart as your model. Mm -hmm. Like that's your entry point into into planning.
1: I don't know. It's a- <laughs> As an entry point, for As sure. As an entry point, yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah.
0: Why Walmart? <clears throat> well, well, the, the socks. The- are I don't know so- if you know this, but Walmart's real bad. <laughs>
2: the so- well, the socks
3: are so cheap, you know? Yeah.
2: <laughs> I do buy my socks there. Well, not these ones that I'm wearing <sighs> right now, but-, but I do, yeah. I, I mean, buy the... By the bagload, the you know twelve. Yeah, by the crate. Like, by the bushel yeah. 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 pound. Yeah. <laughs> um, because the, the the strong probably the strongest argument that the right has ever mounted against the left, against the idea of socialism. It's a really bloody good argument, is that um, he's Canadian, uh, he's allowed to say that. I, I'm allowed to say bloody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um is, a, is that this, the, the the volume, the the, the sheer uh, infinitude of variables within the supply chain. Of of you know the production of of myriad of different um, uh, products and services is uh, that all of that is encapsulated in the price signal in the market. Um, to be able to replace that with uh, planning uh, would supposedly require an army of bureaucrats, or um, more laterally, the uh, within what is called the economic calculation debate, which is about this uh, that. Uh, just uh, mathematically impossible to to fu- to fully capture the infinitude of all those variables. Yeah,
1: and even and even if it was, um, prices also help discover new information. So you would have all these problems about you know finding out um, what new socks people need or whatever because that wouldn't be contained in any of the information that the planners uh, would have. That was the argument at least that the price signal sort of contains all the information that we have now in a nice sort of easy nuggets and helps us find new information in really efficient ways.
3: And then like, also like with the historical example of central planning, that's always brought up is like late era Soviet union, right. where it was just right. this farce where like a bureaucrat was deciding how many bristles would be in like a single toothbrush or something yeah. like that. Like that's <laughs> always brought up as like why the idea of like why central planning doesn't work. Right. Yes.
2: Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, we, we spend a couple of chapters talking about the, the, the Soviet union, uh, but the, uh, the argument historically made by the right by uh, the people like uh, von mises and hayek was that because of this uh, this impossibility of in, of uh, being able to try to um capture all of this information that is otherwise supposedly encapsulated in the price signal uh by an army of bureaucrats or by computation um it will inevitably fail um because of that it can't capture capture all of that therefore that will really result in chaos. That that chaos that chaos will result in a sort of a, a leading towards authoritarianism. Uh, but a bang, bada boom, you have uh, you have Stalin. But that's not how it worked out historically. That's not exactly how it how it happened. It's sort of the reverse. It was the authoritarianism that undermined the planning. Uh, that the um, wh- if you're on a you know a collective farm or in a factory or whatever, and the and 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 the uh, the plan comes down and says you must produce. Uh, you know, a certain target of of widgets by by November, and you haven't done it. Um, you are very very scared that you're gonna you know uh, be sent off to the gulag or even even shot, and so you will lie about that uh that 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 information. You will say you've met your target or you even uh beat your target.
1: Yeah, and lower your target in order or, to or, enable or, you to, yeah, or do that to beat it. Yeah. Like we are only capable of you know producing a thousand toothbrush bristles and then. We produce ten thousand and were great Stecanovites and and
3: yeah. and why do you like why do you use the example of these gigantic corporations like Walmart or Amazon right. for example yeah. as in, like like how do they like employ central central planning? Right. So uh, this was an absolutely
2: fantastic argument from the right. It's a really bloody good argument. But here's the thing: is that uh, if uh, planning is impossible at scale, then Walmart shouldn't exist. Because while Walmart exists, ex- uh, the ex- uh, external to Walmart is the market. It exists within the market, internally. It's entirely planned. And, and Walmart is, if it were a country, it'd be uh, on the scale of uh, uh, Sweden or Switzerland. Uh, it is the largest private sector employer in the world. It's the third largest employer in the world, period, after um, uh, the People's Liberation Army and the Pentagon. Um, so Walmart shouldn't, it, it's entirely internally planned with millions of products, with millions of supply, separate supply chains. So um, according to the argument of uh, the, the right within the economic calculation debate, that economic planning at scale does not work, it, it cannot work, it's impossible, you will inevitably have, um, have, have uh, Stalinist authoritarianism and just utter collapse and inefficiency. Walmart,
1: the Walmarts of the world shouldn't exist. And you just end up with Walton authoritarianism.
3: Well, yeah, like, it, but internally, Walmart is sort of authoritarian, or like Amazon yeah. Yeah, to their yeah, own employees, yeah. like to, yeah. to pull absolutely. off yeah. their yeah. The, this miracle of distribution yeah, yeah. and uh, is, efficiency. Yeah. And that, at the and, same and,
0: time, as for consumers, they are incredibly impressive and effective. Yeah. Yeah. And like the example I do use in terms of like markets was always it's like a very old um, uh, onion headline. I don't know if you remember this or if you have this in Canada, but uh, we have the it's NG, one of my favorite. No, but the the reference continued oh. existence of edible arrangements disproves central tenets of capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea that like capitalism doesn't create completely undesirable things constantly and isn't full right. of waste is rather silly. And we yeah. do have things like like Amazon Prime here. We're just like if we just owned that. If it was like democratically controlled, that would be the coolest service in the world. We would have yeah, such yeah. an efficient society. Yeah,
2: uh, there's certainly a, a, a the argument. Socialists should never be saying that uh, capitalism only produce, th- produces things that we don't want. We all want underwear, presumably. Well, not all the time, but um, <laughs> and and that's a profitable commodity. Uh, so the gap produces it uh, for us. Uh, it's but sometimes uh, there are things that are uh, not profitable, and so they don't produce them like new classes of antibiotic. Or sometimes there are things that are profitable, but we know that are harmful and we don't want them, like fossil fuels, but because they're profitable, they will continue to be produced in the absence of some sort of non-market intervention to prevent that from happening, i.e. planning.
1: Yeah, it's basically sort of you know irrational production, yeah. what we would call it. And in, in many ways, going back to that sort of question of, of authoritarianism, I mean, one of the other things in the book is... We have a chapter on the USSR. The USSR was a failure. It was completely authoritarian, but we want to tar sort of capitalism with that same brush, at least to a certain extent. And
0: capitalism is pretty authoritarian. Yeah. And show, (laughs) and show
1: that exactly. But we don't talk about it enough. Just how authoritarian the workplace is and just how authoritarian the conditions are under which so many of us spend, you know, so much of our working lives and to talk about planning, um, under capitalism as also a kind of authoritarian planning. Yeah, um, you,
2: you could you could say that uh, Walmart is in effect uh, a, a Soviet Union. It um it's it's not quite on the scale of the Soviet Union, but it's pretty damn close in terms of its, uh, its 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 revenues.
3: So if we were to like understand or or think of Walmart or Amazon as basically like a a a capitalist state within a like global market, a right. Stalinist like, off- okay. a Stalinist state, a Stalinist state <laughs> yes, within a global yeah, market absolutely. that is yeah. interacting with a global capitalist economy internally. Like when we say like they employ central planning, like I don't I just don't want to skate over that. Like, what does yeah. that actually mean in terms of like from the CEO of Walmart or the CEO of Amazon, from Jeff Bezos to the person you know, uh, wedding themselves in one of their uh, gulag-like fulfillment centers? <laughs> like, like how, like, okay. w- like what is that central planning? What how does, is their plan? How does it work? And yeah. How does it work? I, I mean, manager it, thing?
1: yeah, I, I mean, in, in the most in the most basic sense, it's just the fact that. You know, there's not like an auctioneer in the warehouse calling out like, and this is kind of, you know, the in, in many ways, the kind of utopian vision of capitalism is like everything would be like, you know, have the auctioneer calling out in the warehouse being like, who's going to take that box to that shelf? You know, 50 cents. Can I hear 50, 51, 52? And then like people, you know, all right, I'll do it for fifty and I'll do it. Like the boss says, like, you will move, you know, not even the boss. It's like your handheld robo device tells <laughs> yeah. you you now have five seconds left. The algorithm to, tells before, you should, yeah. yeah, before I self-destruct to. Um, to, move these, uh, to move these boxes. Um, so, I mean, that's the kind of everyday um, authoritarianism and planning. And then that kind of planning goes, you know, then there's the middle managers who tell the managers what to do and all of that. Um, there's, we had a question at, we did an event in Toronto yesterday, and there was a good question there. It's people saying, you know, the, the corporation doesn't look the same everywhere. Like not every company functions in the same way. Some are much more sort of, you know, the, the planning and the management is much more top-down. Some, we have a good, the sort of foil for Walmart in the book uh, Sears. is Sears, which is like a comical example of someone trying yeah. to introduce a market into the company, yeah. and then just like a spectacular. I'm really glad you brought failure. up the,
3: the Sears example. Uh, our friend of show and former producer Brendan James wrote a review of your guys' book in the Baffler, and the Sears example is a really funny one because it shows the example of like we we think that these these corporations like they embody the capitalist values mm-hmm. that they espouse, and Sears is an example of a CEO like the CEO literally was like an Objectivist Randian, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. decided yep. to internally run the company not based on authoritarian central planning but on like objectivist individual competition at every level yes. and the yes. answer is like uh, for those listening when was the last time you saw Sears? <laughs> <laughs> do you remember Sears at all? I kind of do but they've yeah. it's sort of gone away. Could you talk about what like the Sears examples what happened when they it, like instituted those uh libertarian concepts within a corporate structure
2: it was it was a complete disaster Uh, the ceo eddie lampert when he took over he yeah exactly he was such a randian that when he when he took over he he looked inside the box was horrified to see that it's entirely internally planned he and he felt that this is basically communism um (laughs) and uh, because he was such a randian he thought that the way to solve this uh, was to introduce an internal market, to get different departments competing against each other with separate exchanges of items between them, but not on the basis of, um, of planning or cooperation, but on the basis of competition. And so inevitably, the different departments would hide information from other departments, uh, which resulted in uh, terrible uh, competition, Um it's there like
0: would, a reality TV show. I, I, like, I, yeah, I didn't
3: start this company to make friends. Okay? <laughs>
0: um,
2: it was an it was an utter disaster. Uh, there would be, uh, you know, um, what was the the, the the famous example? Because the it was um, the, the I guess the tools department wanted the. Um, a particular tool on the cover of the Mother's Day um, uh, promotional flyer, and they didn't care that the um, uh, maybe it's sort of, um, uh, women's clothing department might be, a bit, or the perfume or whatever might be a bit more appropriate on the co- on, on the cover because they were in competition with that. Even though overall, because of that, that undermined the profitability of the company of the organization. Right. So effectively, this is the same as what happens in, in, in... So, each of those different departments effectively became their own little companies competing against each other Mama to the detriment of the hammer. overall organization. Yeah. Well, what does that sound like to us? Different companies competing against each other to the detriment of our overall organization, <laughs> i.e. society.
0: They tried to do something similar, I remember, with Zappos, where they kind of diffused the entire, um, like organizational chain. And they tried to say like, well, we're going to make it all horizontal and everyone just move around like nodes. Um, and they gave the people, they gave all the employees like the option of like, I don't know, six months severance to quit or to like stay in this bold new experiment, which they tried to argue was anti-authoritarian. They tried Mm -hmm. to say like, oh, well it's bossless. No, you know, no one has a boss or whatever. And what actually ends up happening is everyone is everyone's boss. And it completely collapsed. And, like, three months later, they were like, oh, my God, oh, my God, we're going back to the regular. And, like, almost everyone stayed because that intense, like, Silicon Valley, like, bold new experiment, spontaneity is always good kind of libertarian mindset is so, like, deeply inured in their brains. And it was just, like, immediate chaos and it almost tanked this incredibly, like, profitable company. Mm -hmm. And they were just immediately like, yeah, no, never mind, this was a dumb idea, this is
1: bullshit. Well, and the the limit of that is is something like uber where everyone is their own boss except they're like the conditions are still set by the company you, you know all the risk is hived off onto you you have your own car you pay your own insurance gas and everything and then uber says you know but we're gonna pay you 60 cents per mile and like the i recently read that that's i think that's the reason that la drivers struck was that again that was another city where they lowered mm-hmm. uh quote unquote wages that's you know we say wages they say, wages. Wage they say labor, uh, yeah, yeah. payments to independent uh, entrepreneurs and uh rising stars of business um <laughs> but uh, and i think they lowered them, them to something like 60 cents per mile and um i believe it's the government that's like the government set kind of rate for reimbursement is like 54 cents a mile like that's what so you're basically not giving people the ability to even you know never mind make like a minimum wage like just like barely cover their costs with um, with what you're paying them.
3: So Sears and their CEO, the Randian CEO, uh, Eddie Lampert is an example of, you know, what happens when you apply uh, capitalist com- competition, the principles of individual competition and liberty <laughs> and self-government <laughs> within a corporate structure. So how do the Waltons do it? How does Walmart do it in contrast to right. Sears? So what's really
2: fascinating in uh, doing the research uh on what made Walmart successful. So, you know, I troll through business scholars, commerce scholars, operations research analysts. And so really sexy (laughs) stuff. (laughs) It's pretty, it's pretty dry. Um, And the, 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 there's some particular technological advances that have, have have allowed this. Uh, That's that, that is, that is the crucial thing. But one of the really striking things is uh, that they mention is, um, the cooperation all along uh, the supply chain. That, uh, that basically the firmification of the entire supply chain. So um, suppliers, um, to some uh, to some extent, are basically making decisions. About what will be stocked on the shelves rather than Walmart themselves and and very far down the, the supply chain but in order to be able to make those decisions Walmart itself has to share moment to moment uh, or even second to second information about sales and so on and so forth uh, with their uh, with with their suppliers um, and so th- this the conceiving of this as, as a sort of competitive um, um, operation sort of falls apart they these research these these commerce scholars uh, insist that the 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 crucial thing is this is cooperation is sharing is trust these lovely Kumbaya words these communist words um, but but what has enabled that sharing of information is also the technolo- technological advances since the 1970s uh, crucially um, and now uh, we're moving into a, an era of big data and machine learning which is um, Furthering this, uh, this 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 uh, ability of uh, of cooperation and sharing of information uh, on a much uh, much greater level. So
0: the, the machine learning kind of technology is essentially like taking the place of what would, you know, forty years ago be like thousands of bureaucrats, right?
1: Yeah, or what it would be. The, it's Hayek when he made sort of that argument that we said at the beginning against who's now you know known as one of the. Uh, great grandfathers of neoliberalism that's really um, who he was who was uh, an economist austrian sort of economist in the 40s when he made those arguments against planning he literally called prices action at a distance which kind of you know at at the time it was like this wow this magical thing that transmits information over great distances in short time Mm -hmm. and now you're like that's kind of funny because we have like you know thousands of miles of fiber optic cable around the globe which is you know Not to say that there isn't a social element, but like a lot of that um, information we can get directly Mm -hmm. and we can get a lot more sort of qualitative, uh, qualitatively different information, not just all of it sort of compressed into prices. Like that kind of idea of like this magical action at a distance, you know, it makes sense in the age of the telegraph, a lot less. Well,
0: and it it, it works specifically, though, because like the coordination between all of these Walmarts works specifically because it's at a certain scale.
2: Or rather, the, uh, the scale is permitted as a result of the cooperation and the, te- and the, the sharing of information. Oh, go
0: on. Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, again, it more it's sort of the other way around. that The ability to, uh, to coordinate all that, uh, the amount of transactions and uh, the distribution of all these goods and services across so many Walmarts uh, is enabled by uh, this sharing of information and this technological sort of effectively a revolution. I mean, I think to some extent, uh, we have to recognize that um, the, you know, you, you can go back to Marx uh, talking about how there needed to be a certain level of um, uh, that he called you know uh, development of the forces of production. Basically, he means uh, technology and, and a few other things. But there needed to be a certain level of economic development before you could achieve socialism. Mm-hmm. And this is, and I think we basically have to recognize that um, the, uh, the ability for us to replace uh, inegalitarian, uh, irrational markets with democratic planning uh, has been made um, um, more feasible by some of the technological changes that have happened um, since the 1970s, not that inti- that's not entirely the- it, but yeah. that is.
1: Yeah. Well, we can't, and that's the thing. That's that's the first half, and then the other half is, of course, us is like yes. is society and and the, and the social part of that. I mean, another thing that goes back to Marx is he, um, literally said something like, you know, capitalism teaches us in a way social cooperation. Like the fact that you mm. have that you start getting industrial production, you get these big factories makes it doesn't teach us in the sense that it shows us that we need sort of that society is a collective project, that it's all of us working together to kind of reproduce society. And it's easier to forget about that when you're sort of, you know, tilling your own plot of land and then going to, you know, to the market once every two weeks and giving stuff to the Lord. It's a lot easier when you're like, although it's horrific in a way too, right. But when you're like one out of 2000 people working at power looms in the, you know, for, for 16 hours, you're like, Holy shit, we all like, rely on each other and, and and production is this really social thing um and the point of the book is to say yes right like that's totally correct now could we run it in our interests? could it actually be you know social in some meaningful way not in a way that again it's like that you know who's the dictator who's um who's telling us what to do and what the goals of all of this um of all of this are and i think that's the sort of counterpoint to the to the not counterpoint that's the super important sort of you know um, fulfillment of that point about technology. Too. Absolutely,
2: the the uh, all that Walmart uh, and Amazon show is that authoritarian planning or, or the planning is possible. It doesn't. Uh, we it's it's up to us to, uh, to take those over and democratize those those systems.
0: Well, okay, so you're working very much in the tradition of Marx, who was a great admirer of all the fancy treats that capitalism brought. It was us. indeed, yeah. He, absolutely. he loved that stuff. Stuff is cool. Free time is cool, and theoretically, those technological advancements could bring us this, but the obvious right-wing rebuttal to this that you're, I'm sure you've already heard a thousand times is that, well, actually, uh, this kind of, uh, you know, super efficiency is only possible due to the exploitation, you know, due to this kind of uh, subjugation of workers. And w- what what is your response to that, just so our listeners can know what to tell their um, terrible well, families at Thanksgiving?
1: To a To a degree, I mean... To a degree, it's true. Like, no one would vote themselves into... That's what you would think. No one would vote themselves into being, like, a a Walmart or Amazon warehouse worker, like, into this dystopian housecape. Like, you would not be like, yes... Um, I will do this so that you know everyone else can have. Not only
3: that, process. I read an article about what the Amaz- like people who work for Amazon in like forgetting the the fulfillment centers, just in like the middle management or yeah. upper echelons of middle yeah. management. I wouldn't vote myself into that. Into that, that sounds True. fucking like a nightmare. Yeah, there was a great like, yeah there's internal like controls has- <laughs> and like efficiency and pressure that they, even like the people oh, who well, are making good money are put under seems totally inhuman. Ten percent ten percent get the knife, knife
1: every year. To a degree, there's a there's a trade-off, but you'd think there'd also be a trade-off between like what we produce and free time. On the other hand, like we wouldn't, I think sort of in a sense, we don't know because it would be a democratic process. Um, And I think you just have like different criteria, like socialist efficiency would look different than capitalist efficiency. You'd still want to make like the most stuff that you could with the least amount of materials and the most, and then you could add different criteria that capitalism doesn't add in like the most ecologically sustainable way um, and in a way that like you know do we want to add more leisure time
3: or add more whatever so like in tr- in, in this part of the like you know planning or like giant social algorithm like if you if democr- if, if we 're democratically controlled, some of the inputs would be for instance the ecolog- ecological damage done by the production of a given sure. good or service, and also uh, the the free time that it is enab- enables the people creating it or like leisure yeah. time or things like that could go into the planning of
1: these things. Yeah, yes, leisure right? time, the type of work, what work looks like could go into that. So, I mean... We can, ha- we can choose to, uh, uh, as a group of workers, yeah. we could um, choose to
2: make more widgets or uh, decide, uh, well, actually, we think we, we've, we've got enough widgets at the moment, but um, the sufficiency, the technological changes have allowed us to um, uh, reduce the amount of time it uh, takes to, uh, to make the, the same number of widgets. So we could have a shorter work week. Or we could produce more widgets. Which would we like? And it's up to us. The, whereas the capitalist, the only option for, for, for him or her is uh, maximization of profit. These other options are off the table. It's if, I mean, that's not to say we wouldn't want to produce more widgets. Sometimes we might want to produce more yeah. widgets. Um, but I, I mean, I would even go so far as to say that um, be, there are already existing ex, existing examples of non-market um, uh, 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 transactions, non-market uh, production and distribution in the world. The United States doesn't have a public healthcare system, but mo- you know, most other um, uh, Western uh, countries do have some level of 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 of, 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 pub- of public healthcare uh, provision. In the UK, uh, their National Health Service. If you compare, and, and in Canada we have a, a single payer system. Um, in terms of efficiency, we spend far less um, per capita on uh, on healthcare than the United States does. So even f- from a capitalist, me- from a you know the, the the point of view of the conceptions of efficiency and uh, economic efficiency, it, our system, the plan system, is more efficient. Even before we get to other questions. Uh, much more democratically interesting questions.
3: Funnily enough, we talked about this with Rob Delaney about the NHS, where, like, the idea is like, oh, it's, like, ration care, but, like, it's ration... I mean, obviously, our American system care is ration exactly. too. It's just price yeah. ration. But, like, yeah, yes, exactly. Like, and, and, like, whereas, like, the, the counter-example for Canada or the NHS is like, oh, if you need like a like a hip replacement or something like that, you'll have to wait a really long time, and, like, it's rationed that those are longer wait times for those things. However, the things that get the more immediate care are, like, you know, cancer, yeah. Where the things are like if you're dying right now yeah. rather than like you have to your wait arm for a medical. Is sever, then than need, few yeah, like yeah, than like few than yeah, you, you few more <laughs> Yeah, a few more than
1: a like, a medical device. than a few more than a few more than a system more um, than a whole. and then it's and you know and, and the the than a few more than a few you than a and more than a few more than a few more to make that triage faster a whatever, right? If we to five percent to more of GDP in Canada than to make more 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 theoretically you know you'd have all those things could uh, could be done a lot faster but then we'd be doing less of other things and ideally like that's what you'd want kind mm-hmm. of democratic decision-making on this kind of big scale to look like
0: yeah it is funny when you realize that this isn't even something like healthcare in particular in the mindset of people from other countries and I was talking to like really smart economists it's like a monetary historian, Sheen Gilmore. And I was trying to ask him about like um, inflation or something like that. And I was like, how do you measure real prices? And he went to this big long thing and I'm like, oh, but like something like healthcare would be more in, you know, America just because of the way price. He's like, well, healthcare is pretty consistent. And then like he texted me like three minutes later. He's like, no, I checked. Your healthcare is insanely expensive. Like, oh, yeah, like he, an- he like didn't even consider it. He was right, just like, yeah, he's yeah. like, it's actually like ridiculous. He's like, I didn't even think that that would be, that yeah. your market would be that inefficient. Yeah. look
1: that's at look been at the, one the, the, the jump,
3: like, like, for instance, like the jump in price of like insulin over the last, what, 10, oh, it's 20 insane. years or something yeah. like yeah. that. People
0: are going without insulin.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, exactly. It's, it is. It, it It's insane. And that's one of the, that's like been one of the main things that's actually been keeping the u s out of sort of deflation over long you know over the kind of long call is the fact of this like huge inflation in in healthcare costs, college costs, and these two big like sort of privatized sectors of kind of social mm-hmm. care, higher education and, and healthcare have actually been driving like price increases because they're left to the to the market. I mean, we saw some of that in the just in terms of that kind of efficiency stuff. We saw some of that in the NHS and we have a chapter on the NHS um, we call it nationalization is not enough also not to just sort of like confuse what we're saying with, you know, it's okay if we just like nationalize everything and that's good, leave everything the same internally. Like that's the whole point of the democracy is to mm-hmm. transform it sort of, you know, from bottom, from bottom to top, ideally, um, in a way that's, uh, that's democratic. Um, unfortunately, what happened to the NHS is they actually went sort of in reverse and took some of the lessons from uh, our old friend Eddie Lampert from Sears and actually applied them, uh, you know, these are ideas generated under Margaret Thatcher and then applied... Uh, by John Major and um, our uh, third way friend Tony uh, Tony Blair uh, to create this kind of internal market within the NHS to make you know to make make it kind of like the US parts of it kind of like the US system but still inside the kind of public system but now you have sort of like providers and purchasers this like insane web of contracts between uh, between different units within the healthcare system instead of the kind of planning where it's like no we will you know do this and you will provide these services. It's like, it is this kind of like, who will provide this operation for $10,000? Do I hear 9,000? And the first thing they had to do to make this run is hire like thousands of managers Mm -hmm. and ballooning administrative costs to the detriment of actual like care of patients.
0: There's a really, really good um, British television show. That's like one of these dark discomfort comedies. Um, called Getting On, that's about sort of like um, austerity in NHS. And as Americans do, we completely just wrote the whole pilot again with American actors and, mm-hmm. and, and had our own version of it for HBO. And of course, literally every episode after that had to be completely different because the entire premise of an NHS-style hospital does not work for America. Right, right, yeah, yeah. But it was actually interesting because it gave you a good I mean obviously like the American version was it, it was more barbaric obviously it was more barbaric. but the British version, you got to see what say um, austerity could do to an NHS right. and all the little things because it's about nurses it's it's set in like a like a, a geriatric ward of a hospital or whatever. and you saw like all the little ways that introducing competition. Into something that should be a social good, Mm -hmm. made everything miserable for the nurses, for the doctors, and obviously for the patients and their families.
2: Oh, we should we should really uh, interrogate the uh, the capitalist claim that uh, markets um, are incredibly efficient compared to any any other. Yeah,
0: that's the big argument is that they're deft and they can yes exactly nimble. Yeah, but you used a great uh, example about um uh about like antibiotics.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, you can go back to to Marx. I mean, one, uh, there is um, historically you can always go back. You can always, to go, Marx. Back. You can always go back to Marx. Marx. Um, you know, we, the problem of markets is 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 not just about inequality or lack of workers' control, thus you know domination and alienation, but also Marx talked about um, you know irrational production um, um, because of the fact that markets limit production to just to that uh, that what is uh, to that which is profitable, but the thing is that there's, uh, while well, there's, as we were talking before, you know, their underwear is certainly both useful and profitable, and that's a happy coincidence. Um, but they will. Uh, there's a whole range of useful items or beneficial items that, if they're not profitable, they won't be produced. And today, uh, probably the most um, obvious example of that would be, you know, new classes of antibiotic in the face of growing um, antimicrobial resistance. You know, we are. Um, we are a couple of decades away from effectively a sort of pre sort of victorian era of 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 medicine um because of the the scale of of microbial uh, antimicrobial resistance M- almost all of uh, modern medicine depends upon this background of antimicrobial protection from from surgery certainly but also just injections or catheters or even ba- so many diagnostic procedures depend on this and, and this uh, this uh, depend on ant- ant- antibiotics but Big pharma got out of the business of research and development um, into antibiotics, but also clinical trials and commercialization and production, and even just production, manufacture of these about three decades ago. And this is um, this is mainly because um, if you take uh, a course of antibiotics over you know two or three weeks, at the end of that, hopefully, I mean, if they work, then your infections. Done. Like you don't have the infection anymore. Maybe tuberculosis. Maybe you know five, six months of of of, of a course of, of of drugs. But again, after the end of that, you're, you're you're done. You don't have the infection anymore. So you're not selling those drugs to that person. It's much more profitable to be producing drugs for some sort of chronic disease uh, for somebody who has to take that those drugs every day for the rest of their life. So you can speak to the CDC. Um, you know, European um, chief scientific officers. The, all of the experts um, who write about and research uh, antimicrobial resistance argue that the reason we 're facing this crisis which is probably more of a crisis more of an existential crisis uh, than, than probably climate change at least because it's it's going to be happening a lot a lot sooner I uh, say that it's it's a market failure that the these companies have basically uh, in the in the in the, the the arms race, in the war, the un, uh, un, unremitting evolutionary uh, arms race with with bugs, these companies have gone awol, um, uh, because of of a lack of profitability. Well, this is completely irrational. This the this set of product, uh this set of the, the, uh, goods should be produced for any rash, uh, any rational society. Uh, that's completely inefficient. Uh, that that this isn't happening, we could talk about the other side as well, if you like, uh with respect to fossil fuels, which is the example where um if something is uh harmful and we know that it's harmful, um no matter how much we know about how harmful it is um if it's still profitable if it's profitable, it will still be produced, and that's a fundable fundamental cause of of of, of, of Right, the but what of are all change.
0: these uh, these new op eds I'm reading that say can shell oil save us from climate change? <laughs> and it's like, you know what? Maybe they could, but that's not the right question. Are they going to? They what they, their... w-
1: they would if it were profitable. Exactly. They would if it were profitable.
2: So like
3: if we in, give them enough money. So like, you know, let's say we like, you know, in in if we're living under the People's Republic of Walmart, you right. know, like if we switch to a centrally planned economy rather than a, a market economy, it, it would be easier to make the rational decision to produce the antibiotics that we need not to die from very basic Yeah, because we would,
2: just, we would just democratically decide that's what we're going to produce. And it doesn't matter that it's unprofitable. Uh, uh, we would just produce it.
0: The other example I think of that like, comes to mind is palliative care. So it like, really hurts to die, and it really sucks, but making it less painful you you are not going to get returns on that at all <laughs> like end of life stuff it's completely there's a um there's a really good book by uh, a woman called Ann Newman about this um and it's just like because of how profit motivated like we are, there's just no way to die with any kind of dignity or painlessness in America unless you just have a giant pile of money that you can use to just keep pumping yourself with morphine. Yeah. Look at Sheldon Adelson. He's still out
3: and about. <laughs> he's, just, he's
0: got his little, he's got his little electronic wheelchair and his, his bodyguards everywhere. But yeah, it's like this thing that produces like a grotesque way of life from cradle to grave. Yeah.
2: Yeah, we could, I mean, here's the bizarre thing, is that we could have so much more. Life could be so much better. Um, the, the the promise of socialism is not supposed to be this gray, um, sort of uh, scarcely, like everybody living, you know, wearing, wearing, uh, sackcloth.
3: Everyone's got the unitard.
2: Everyone's yeah. got
0: like, the gray, you know, the gray unitard. unitard. It's, like the
3: same ugly haircuts. One then, like, size fits you go none. To, you go to the store and there's like no product and like, there's no colorful boxes. It just says cereal. Like <laughs> government cereal and it's the same shit. But then again as our, our friends Brett and Brian pointed out about the uh, the cereal or supermarket example, like it's all just the same corn. It's just different <laughs> colors and dyes. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like the the it's, it's the, the same bland. shit. It's the same shit. It's just like you know a different cartoon character on each box. You're saying we can still have the the different cereals under the, all the different cereals we know and love under the uh, the uh, People's Republic of Walmart. Yeah,
2: of course. Well, I mean, <laughs> the point is is not to uh, imagine what we will and we won't have in terms of what what, what kinds of cereal necessarily. I mean, I think there probably is. It's, it's probably fine to say that there's an irrational differentiation, uh, there, a lack of uh, there's differentiation where there isn't any real difference yeah. there. But I think much more interesting than that, because that that may, sp- I mean, we don't know whether people do actually want those differences. I think much more interesting are things like um, uh, the the bizarre emergence of of highly gendered uh, soap uh, packaging. Right. Um, No. Yeah. And like
0: the pink tax that goes along with it. Absolutely. Again, that's utterly irrational. That's why I buy men's razors (laughs) for my face and legs. (laughs) Um,
2: um, But the uh, so that is that is probably some sort of differentiation that we would democratically say that's absurd. That a household is now forced to buy um, uh, two different types of razors when they really don't need to because of the enforcement of of, of historic uh, 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 gendering. Um,
3: I want a body wash for my balls and ass.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, my yeah. favorite one that I've seen lately uh, is man yogurt, which just sounds uh, like, yogurt. This, I they just have like this a yogurt. This came out in, in Poland
1: itself. like ten years before here, just because Poland is extremely backwards. There's some Turns, gender that was crazy. <laughs> I was the first time I saw that I was like. What is in there? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean it's on it's on the label. Yeah, I, you know. at,
2: this, at the same time, we should be kind of we should be very careful again. Um, uh, one of the, the, the great internal critiques of Stalinism uh, was that of how great it was of the lack of consumer items. Mm-hmm. There, were, you know, no pineapples, no jeans, uh, no no Elvis records.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, when we, we want bread, but we some want roses. some of that roses. may have been rational. <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: we want bread, but we want roses too. And the idea that um, that uh, we don't need all these consumer items—well, some of them we don't—but it really should be up to us to decide democratically what ones we want and what ones we
3: don't. So, but, we're looking at you know these examples, like you know Walmart and Amazon, is an example of these you know giant corporations that basically are scale-wise states, like yes, comparable yeah, yeah, to, as like you said, Sweden or international, any other- states, yeah, international states. Yeah, international. Yeah. Yep. Um uh, and they're they're global and they're extremely good at planning and uh, they're extremely good at getting us all these you know things that fun we, treats that, that we, we want and or need in our lives they're very good at that but yet like let's say like okay like we expand that and like we have a like country like America run on the same principles of central planning that's still one country that exists in a global market and like Amazon or Walmart there is a supply chain where many all those nice. A lot of things that we like and want and need, sneakers or whatever, are manufactured in countries that are like would still be or would it I'm asking, would it still be leveraging the cheap labor of other countries to produce the the products that are then are efficiently distributed to us here as consumers or citizens of a centrally planned America? Right. So and like what are the implications of that or like are you know. Like, would that just be replicating the same kind of capitalist In the absence of an international left. That goes yeah, on yeah. right but, now.
2: Well, the, the, this is the question is socialism possible in one country? And I think, I mean, my personal opinion, we don't talk about this in the book, but my personal opinion is that that question has been firmly answered that no, socialism is, socialism is not possible in one country. It has to emerge as a global phenomenon. Now, how do we get there? That's another question. Again, we don't talk about that in the book. But um, if any country were to, uh, to attempt to build socialism, um, you would immediately be confronted with uh, questions not just of imperialism or dependence on um, extraction uh, from 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 other countries in, per, in potentially um, inegalitarian egalitarian uh, fashion, but also immediately you'd be confronted with capital strike and economic sabotage on the part of of internet you know international finance and uh, so there's there's a range of reasons why socialism probably isn't feasible
1: in in one country. Uh-huh. I'm a special. I'm, I'm I, in a not in the book. kind of
0: gal, but we all know this. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean
1: it's not like yeah, it's not in the book. I'm I'm less skeptical. It depends what we mean. We have a, we have like a it, range you here can have, on yeah. the couch. Yeah, no, but it's but I mean it, it's a big. The question is correct. I mean, and it is a big. It is a big issue. To what extent are you? Um, to what extent do you depend on those sort of conditions elsewhere? And then to what extent do you depend on? Sort of price, like international prices, but also, and the choices that are being made for you through through that, right? Again, right. which are th- like that's deciding kind of how things relate to one another uh, in a way that um, that isn't necessarily the kind of democratic thing that you'd hope would be happening.
0: But also, if we look at the way automation has improved, say, manufacturing, textiles, things like that, um, and the fact that actually we. Do make things in America. That is like a a big myth. Is that like, you know, like there are no factories left in America. There are a lot of them are running on skeleton crews because they become more efficient. People
1: don't make things in America anymore. Yeah, right. Like the ones that. So the
0: idea that like we are entirely dependent on the exploitation of the third world for absolutely everything we have. No, that's the way things are organized right now. Certainly, Mm -hmm, and I think there's going to be an international economy. You know, the toothpaste is out of the tube. Of the five hundred flavors of toothpaste you get in America now, um, but the idea that everything is necessarily dependent on the exploitation of the third world to me is completely absurd. We actually can be domestically very efficient and can trade in an ethical way
2: i mean we do have to we do have to take into account that there are many there are many products where uh, the components are made in. Dozens of different countries. The you know the phone in your Certainly. pocket. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know maybe sixty different Consumer countries. Consumer electronics are yeah, yeah
0: are, are the big one. Yeah.
2: Consumer electronics, but you know almost everything that you from the from the the paper from the Kleenexes to to, to the notebooks in front of you. Um, you know mining uh, is you know plays a, an enormous role in, in in many of the the aspects of that um, as well as you know forestry and. Uh, and all of these things happen. We we are fundamentally interna- uh, internationally connected economy now, and we're not going to retreat uh, from that. Right. Nor 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 should we. Yeah. Um. So when we talk about um developing democratic uh planning, we do have to think about um um extending that on a sort of global scale,
1: especially in in the case of something like climate change or these big, you know, big problems that we face that aren't. Yeah concentrate in one country if we burn fossil fuels here they don't stay you know within exactly. the borders orders um, of the U.S. I mean the other the other big asterisk here is we don't like I think the book in many ways is sort of the book about you know where we are now it's not really a book about like central planning in one country in one city in one neighborhood like you know um, or 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 globally it's really a book about the idea of planning and bringing that back and just bringing back this debate like we used to have these debates between the left and the right um and we used to put forward you know strong kind of utopian arguments around this stuff uh and then 40 50 years of neoliberalism and all of us sort of have you know really constrained imagination so i think we're sort of back at that stage where we just need to start bringing back uh these big old ideas for the left um and thinking about the fact that you know you we could put democracy into the into the economy, and then I think we're you know far away from like large scale plans. Like, what would it?
0: Especially it, since we have the success story. Like, we, I mean, you know, it's a it's a mixed bag. I, as Marx once said, capitalism is a mixed bag. Um, <laughs> but like, we do have this. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. We do no. have this success story of like, look, you know, the capitalists can't say that planning doesn't work. Yeah, their yeah. favorite yeah. projects. Are the result of very efficient planning.
2: That's effectively all we're saying. We are not. There's no blueprint in our in our book in our little blue book uh, for how to build socialism. We are very modest and humble in what we're saying here. Hopefully, in that we are simply taking on the argument that um, uh, planning at scale is impossible, and we and we are using the best examples that capitalism has to, uh, in, in, you know, Walmart's the most profitable, it's the biggest corporation in the world.
3: Um, speaking of, uh, like the, the, you know, if we're going to say, if you're advancing the case that, uh, planning can work at scale and it could work at scale for a country, the size of America or even a a global economy, you know, all of us have lived in a world of, where neoliberalism has totally won everything. And the idea, like it just, it's just, as Thatcher said, there is no other way. Yeah. You know, markets are like the only thing that we have, and there is only the market anymore. Yeah. Now we're living in a moment where, like the probably the best example for something like central planning or why markets actually can't be the be all and all of anything is global warming, right? Because this is like the yeah. one mega problem that like every human being on the planet is going to have to deal with and face. And it seems that like you know, m- capitalism and market. Economies are only ex- like driving,
0: right? Because the ex- big exacerbating- mistake that capitalists make is that they say that capitalism is going to maintain capitalism, and it doesn't. It just yeah. accrues. Capital. However,
3: and like you know, uh, and and we hear a lot like, oh, because you know, capitalism, uh, it can only just grow and take more and more and more resources and put more and more carbon into the atmosphere. However, if I understand your book here correctly, you're saying that it's not necessary. Like you are sort of pro pro growth in a way from yep. a Marxist and an yep. environmentalist perspective. Yep. and I suspect that that will land on some years as odd or even controversial. So can you explain why uh, growth is important even when confronting a problem like uh, global warming that I think many yeah. people understand as a problem of too much growth right. or too much technology or carbon, etc.? It,
2: it's, pro- it's not a problem of growth. It's a problem of, using, of, of combusting fossil fuels. There's a few other things to, to do with land, land use change, um, uh, but primarily it's, it's about com- combustion of fossil fuels. Uh, Think about, uh, you know, 30 years ago, in the 1980s, uh, we were faced with a similar um, existential threat of the uh, depletion of the ozone layer as a result of the use of chlorofluorocarbon CFCs, and Mm -hmm.
3: things like fridges and hairspray. Uh, Donald Trump famously, as Matt has pointed out, Matt has famously pointed out, Donald Trump on the campaign trail complained that hairspray is not as good as it was in the (laughs) 80s anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And that is entirely because of, yeah, people got concerned about the ozone layer. (laughs) It does
0: (laughs) actually work as well. He just doesn't like, as a hairspray user, he just doesn't like the fact that it, isn't actually releasing chlorofluorocarbons. <laughs> yeah. that's the part of the yeah. hairspray that he liked
2: um, and it, it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't the market that solved that it was regulatory intervention forcing technology switching uh, on the fridge manufacturers and and the you know hairspray um, producers and so on and so forth to use chemicals that uh, were uh, that did not damage uh, the ozone layer um, so the two points there one it wasn't uh, the market on its own it was it was we didn't solve the ozone layer uh, problem by through markets. We did through planning. The second thing is there's more hairspray and fridges than ever before, and we've solved that problem. We the the ozone layer is healing. By about 2050, it, it should be healed. It, there are some things to with respect that China some factories in China may be cheating on some of these regulations. So it, you know there might be some, some German problems. German auto there.
0: manufacturers very famously like lied <laughs> about their emissions for a really long time, and because they're Germany, no one checked their math.
2: Right, yeah. Um, so if it didn't require a halt to growth in fridges and hairspray for us to solve that. And it doesn't require a halt to the growth in value, uh, that in utility, in benefit to humanity. Uh, it, re- uh, it requires a switching away from, from fossil fuels. Um, but the market left to its own devices, because fossil fuels are, are profitable, in the absence of of some regulatory intervention, i.e., planning, we will just continue to, uh, to to produce those
1: of some external standard that says this price is wrong. Like this, you know, dollar per gallon of gas is the wrong price. And the way that, like, the way we fix that under capitalism is we just say, you know, like either a tax or whatever, something that changes that price into something else, and ideally we'd like to have um, a better system of deciding what's valuable and what isn't. Like, at basis, that's kind of it. Like, what's valuable and, and what isn't, and, and how do we together decide
3: what's more valuable than than something else? So, like, the, the creation of these inputs and outputs, it's about deciding, like, you know, what is a, uh, a, a barrel of uh, oil worth? When you factor in... Like one of the, the the prices is you know uh, breathing air or yeah. have drinking water sometime in the future. Yeah. Right. And yeah. And and the way we do that now
1: is ultimately we try to convert all of that into uh, into money, into this one thing that we have that's able to compare like qualitatively very different things, like me living in a clean environment and me you know like filling up my car with gas or whatever. Right. I uh, was
2: I was I was just gonna say um, that this is actually a really important um, conversation in terms of whether we whether we identify markets as the, the cause of climate change, the problem of climate change, or whether we think of growth as the problem. I mean, Engels famously did battle with uh with Malthus, the uh, reverend uh, john Malthus, an early economist but um,
3: famously associated with uh the fears of overpopulation overpopulation, exactly Exactly. i think you have largely been discredited as you know i remember when when i was a kid like uh like overpopulation was considered a big you know oh oh, we're all the overpopulation i think that's by now at least if you haven't realized by now that that shit is like totally fascist and insane like you uh Gladly, I think most people have realized yeah. Malthusian panic about overpopulation You'd think is that, nonsense, but on the left, on the I, left, I, I don't they know, become like,
0: Malthusians. They're like, don't have kids.
3: Yeah, exactly. This is
2: the danger that you go down. Um, um, but all, uh, there's all sorts of horrible things, uh, as you say, sort of fascist, inevitably fascist sort of outcomes uh, resulting from from the Malthusian uh, mindset. But but also, just even quite prosaically, um you're, if you're spending three hours a day of your activist energy fighting growth, meanwhile the real villain over here is the market uh, and the lack of technology switching. You're wasting those three hours. Spend those three hours of activist energy better, enforcing uh, technology switching, building out of of clean energy infrastructure. That's that's where the emphasis should be, um, which is it's the the villain is the market, not growth.
3: Um, you talk about technology switching, like in theory. Uh, I mean, right now, the entire global economy basically is underwritten by the burning of fossil fuels, yeah. right? Like, yeah. that that's what keeps us in, you know, with electricity and computers and houses and the lifestyle to which, right. you know, we've all become accustomed to. Yeah. And that, you know, many people in the world, you know, don't have access to, right? Like most. And most of the people <laughs> yeah. in the world don't have access to. Like, is there is there a way, like you're saying like we can continue to grow as a, an economy and like mm-hmm. switching to alternative energy or Absolutely. and things like that is, but like, are we going to have to like take is take a haircut in terms of our quality of life or the things that we take for granted in terms of, you know, consumer products and all of the, like you said, the treats and, and for 40, we, for,
2: for 40 years, uh, Western workers have had nothing but uh, stagnating wages uh, in most, not all, but in, mm-hmm. in a lot of a lot of sectors. So when people say, when the green left says that we all need to take a cut, mm-hmm. uh, we need to to, to cut back. Who? What? What? What on earth are you talking about? We've had nothing but stagnant wages for all this time. So we have to do with even, even less. So it's it's basically so austerity. Sort of like it's, a, it's Thatcher's eco. It's a kind of like
3: yeah, like a like a yeah, like a, a sort of yeah, environmental self imposed austerity. Yeah. And you're saying that like we should like avoid that kind of thinking. It's yeah. not
2: even necessary. It's not yeah. even necessary. Well, and
3: talk and
1: talk about like you said. You said quality of life, right? Mm-hmm. And that's something very different than like, you know, the amount of fossil fuels you burn or whatever that, or the amount, like, and that's something that ideally we should be, again, deciding sort of democratically for ourselves. You know, I, you, giving people healthcare is, like, if if everyone in the U.S. had healthcare, that would be a big growth of, like, healthcare, mm-hmm. of healthcare outputs. It might actually yes. shrink the, if you did it through a Medicare for all, you might shrink some of the middle management and some of the inefficiencies out of the system, but you'd actually be able to deliver more healthcare if you had, you know, like, free... Childcare. That would be a lot of childcare that you'd now be producing. Like if you were building out green housing and retrofitting housing and making sure that everyone was housed, again, we'd need a lot more housing, but it depends, you know, what it would look like, how it would function, all of that. That's that sort of quality of life question that's very different than just the kind of abstract question of growth.
0: (laughs) Well, and also not to be completely like, you know, the Western decadence, but if you actually talk to people, I think they would agree there's a glut of certain consumer products. Yeah. Like, we actually don't need the number of brands of toothpaste we have. That is a, that is a medical tool. Yes, I love my fun, um, you know, uh, lavender-flavored toothpaste or whatever. But there is, there is a number of, like, superfluous products that we could cut down on. Everyone has been in the grocery store or been looking at something on the internet and been like, why does that exist? Why is that for sale? Mm-hmm. And, and it's that question of like, yeah.
1: because it's profitable, right? Because yeah. the standard that we're using to say, yes, we should make this. Or but no, if we, we were to have to
0: consciously yeah. be like, should this exist yeah. in the world? There are going to be some things that I think the vast majority of people would agree, you know, we don't need edible arrangements. Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, absolutely. But yeah, sorry. But like back to this question
3: of like a global warming, and I, I, I think it should be obvious, like, why global warming is a problem that demands some kind of massive. State, like cooperative, like project, yeah, where that we like of switching off a of fossil fuel economy yeah. and energy, like, and it needs to be like a centrally planned is basically the only way that's going to work, like. You know, an Apollo program or something like that. Like and you know, you mentioned the Green New Deal as being like kind of a paradigm shift and just saying like, no, like And something
0: like nuclear can't like on a small scale is very dangerous. On a big scale, very safe.
2: Well, I mean actually I mean with small modular reactors, that's
3: that's it's actually the big reactors that are the problem, right? No, I mean like
0: I mean like planned like you like I don't want the state of Indiana to be in charge of its (laughs) own to be in charge (laughs) of its own safety standards. I mean small scale in terms of like Federalism and local economies.
2: Um, okay, uh, maybe I could put it a, a slightly different way. Um, uh, Jameson McBride, uh, an energy systems researcher with the Breakthrough Institute, which is uh, an environmental think tank out of out of out of uh, California, um, he did. He's he's a he's a democratic socialist, uh, and he did an analysis of uh, those countries who have had the fastest decarbonization rates, and uh, four out of the the uh, the five. Uh, were uh, state-led public infrastructure programs mass build-out of of, uh, nuclear uh, plants and or uh, hydroelectric dams. The reason those are uh, uh, really, really important is because we need uh, reliable electricity to make sure the hospital, the dialysis machines, and the hospitals um, are running twenty four seven. It's uh, not going to be have, solar.
0: Sorry, no, because <laughs> the
2: sun doesn't sh- shine and the wind doesn't always blow, and so you do need the solar and wind. Absolutely, have a crucial role to play alongside these other these other things. But the but the important thing is that, that I wanted to sort of emphasize here is it took a massive, as you say, Apollo program st- style state build out. Of, uh, of, of this infrastructure to meet the scale of, or so sort of the rate of decarbonization of the electricity grid that things like the international Inter, uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, uh, report, say, you know, that's the sort of the, the, how rapidly we have to decarbonize. These, 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 uh, these countries have met those, de- or these, their grids have met that rate, but they did it, not depending on the market, but through state-led build-out of, of infrastructure.
0: Right, France was like uh, the example you gave me when I wrote about the minor Scala, where it was like, you know, how did they they did it incredibly quickly too? About a decade, yeah, yeah, Yeah. like in a decade, and it was because they organized it at a national level. They're like, look, this is what we're going to do,
1: and that brings it. And that no, and all I want to say, and that takes it away from this like kind of question of like technology fetishism. Like, you know, is is like this the only? Which often that debate boils down to, like, is it this versus that? Versus like, what's the goal we want to achieve? How can we get there? And what's the process? And what's the process to get there? And is it going to be the market that takes us there or, or regulation? So, you know, and, it, and that happens to, happens to both sides of that. Like, there's people who are opposed, you know, opposed to um, the people who oppose certain technologies are also sort of technology fetishists in that kind of like, yeah, yeah. you know, through the looking glass way of the people who think that technology is, that is just the technology that is the answer. Not like what we do with it or how we um, or how we use it or you know how it's planned basically
2: one of the great challenges uh, I mean there will be Republicans who say yeah nuclear is great uh, that you know believe in climate change believe it's real and they say nuclear nuclear is great and I'm with them on that uh, but uh, when uh, when it comes to what Michal was just talking about uh, when push comes to shove and uh, the 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 higher taxation on the wealthy to be able to fund the scale of um, public sector infrastructure. Then, at that point, those people were cheating and say, "Oh, wait, wait, hold—that's not what we meant." Um, so, it isn't just about—it's um, te- uh, it, not technology on its own. It has to be accompanied by this uh, radical shift in the relations of production as well.
0: Right. No one to- wants market nuclear. That is <laughs> going to be a problem. Uh,
3: Mr. Burns does. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I just the close things out. Like one of the things I'm I'm interested in is like we we talked about global warming, and you know. It's this huge issue that people are becoming like more and more um, depressed about because right. you know you, you read uh, scientific reports about what the melting of the ice caps is going to do to the coastal lying areas of the world right. where most right. of the people on this planet live. A lot of sad when, you, polar when you think bears. about, well, yeah, you think about the extinction of the world's megafauna happening in our lifetime, or like the death of like every fish in the ocean, or insect. I mean, it's like extremely heartbreaking and dispiriting to think about. But what does it mean when you say that you're not a, like a doomsayer when it comes to global warming, and in particular, very like to argue against this kind of uh, eco-primitivist idea that like we just need to like basically drastically scale down. scale down the human population of the planet and our own like the lives that we yeah. lead.
2: You, we don't need to gild the lily or whatever the sort of negative inversion of that is. Are we can all-
0: have gilded lilies. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: um, things are bad enough and, and quite con- disconcerting enough with respect to climate change, with respect to biodiversity loss. We don't need to exaggerate. And, you know, for a number of years I, I worked at a, a at climate research institute. Um, I was a science writer there. And, but working alongside um, hydrologists, climatologists, um, energy systems researchers, uh, forester, forest uh, researchers, et cetera, et cetera, and all of them are genuinely concerned. I mean, their whole purpose is uh, is is result, is trying is to analyze the problem and to try to solve the problem. And every single one of them, on a regular basis, is re- is frustrated with the scale of uh, two, with two things. One, of course, with the denialism, uh, largely associated with the right, but also with the exaggeration. It, it, it's already bad enough. We don't, and one of the reasons they get frustrated about this is because when we exaggerate about this, then it's very easy for the right to say, ha ha ha, look, here the evidence doesn't show this. Well, therefore we don't need to care about this at all. Entomologists are incredibly frustrated with the insectageddon story that the Guardian put on its, its front page. Things are bad with insects, not this bad and uh, it, it, there is it, it, it's and those uh, are
1: people you don't want to fuck with <laughs> just to be clear. yeah the insect people the insect yeah. love, big insect yeah fuck. i guess the
2: i guess the thing is big uh, bug. what people in, we don't need a bunch of pollyannas saying everything's fine it's not fine but we also don't need a bunch of cassandras saying the world is going to end in 10 years because that's not true either a lot of people talk, in the community talk about a sort of a sober sense of urgency uh, evidence based that's, that's what we need um, uh, and the other thing is just quite simply there's a lot of psychological evidence uh, uh, to suggest that uh, doomsaying just turns people off oh that yeah, just, yeah
0: no, to I it. was just talking to someone today that says like I don't know why they keep telling me we have like 12 years till we're all gonna die he's like I hear a deadline like that and I just check out yeah, and be that, like I'm yeah, gonna absolutely. fail this test yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm gonna make this the best 12 years yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> no really yeah
3: absolutely yeah. No and yeah and we but it does lead to a kind of uh, yeah depression and paralysis uh, of just like just say fuck it or yeah like and and as a question we answered yesterday about people who are afraid to have kids because they think that like it's going to be Mad Max Mm -hmm. in the next twenty years it isn't it really isn't and here's the other thing
2: is that it's already Mad Max for many people in the world Mm -hmm. right yeah so yeah look at Mozambique yeah so let's 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 get real here. Uh, sea level rises is 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 a real challenge. The threat, in particular, to uh, diminishing um, uh, harvest, that is a real challenge. But there's lots of swathes of the world where that's already a challenge. You know what was it um, uh, when, a, f- a couple of years ago? Um, a famous British actress, can't remember her name. She was in uh, what anyway, movie Was matter. she
3: in? Come on, no, yeah, yeah, I got yeah, yeah. this. I got I, this. She said, uh, <laughs>
2: "Climate change will make parts of the whole parts of the world uninhabitable." There's already parts of the world; the oceans are uninhabitable, deserts are uninhabitable. <laughs> the, the, we're missing a trick here. We're not talking. We're not being re- realistic about what uh, what the the issue is. We're exaggerating, and it makes it very easy for the right to dismiss us. Right,
3: but like so, but like the the, the, the I can already like imagine. I'm already anticipating like the, the turnaround to, to, to what you're saying here would be. You know, people who are saying, "Well, you're just selling." You know, people in the first world line that they can have their cake and eat it too, literally. We can keep eating steak every day and drive our, you know, cars to and from work all of the time and like also deal with climate change. You like, can, you, for sure. Yeah.
2: Okay. So that is that's what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we need electric cars. We need, uh, public transportation. We need clean jet fuel. Um, aviation, trucking and, um, long haul, uh, uh, shipping are incredibly difficult to electrify. So we're probably going to need, uh, synthetic fuels there. But think about what it means if we were to give up all those things. Like there will be no Medicare for all right. If yeah. there isn't that international supply chain. Right. Right. If there isn't. So we have a, we have a choice. Either we retreat from that. And we're, we're giving up on Medicare for all. We're giving up on hospitals. We're giving up on modernity. And what kind of a world would that look like?
3: Well, the Mad Max world. The Mad Max. Yeah. That's pretty Mad Max,
2: isn't, isn't it? And also, oh, yeah. if you're
0: a degrowthist, you're asking people that live in like, horrible conditions in the third world to never improve. Like yes, their yes. infant and maternal mortality rate never gets to go up. That's ridiculous. Yeah. It's yeah. absurd. It's cruel. We can build like beautiful, great, big things.
1: Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. And that's the good, and that's, the good thing about something like the green new deal where this sort of this rut that we've been in that counterposes right like two ruts the counterpose environment and the economy gets completely dis- dismissed because it's like yes we need we will need to have these big projects but it is it's like a reevaluation of values what do we actually want to do with our time with our energy with our social resources um to live in a way that's like ecologically sustainable in the way that's ecologically su- sustainable for all of it. But that gives us, but that gives us jobs that gives us good quality of life and all of that. And it doesn't mean that there won't be any changes. And like you said, I mean, and, and there might be some difference on this couch to that too, right? There might be things that, um, or I think the argument that we present in the book is that there's actually probably lots of things that are irrationally produced like that, mm-hmm. that don't correspond, um, to what people might decide in, in other conditions. Right. Um, so the question is, how are we going to get to a place where we can, um, where we can make those decisions together? So stop
2: worrying about not having kids and spend your three hours of activist energy um, building that Apollo program, lobbying and activating for a, a Green New Deal to to have this nationwide build-out of clean energy infrastructure. That's where your energy should be it should be based sober, urgent, evidence based uh, response to real crises.
3: And what you're saying is like you know like the, the crisis is real, but from what you're saying is like there are uh plans and technologies in effect that uh that already exist that are working to counteract the worst of it
2: no no I'm, no i'm saying that uh, there, <laughs> there are technology there are technologies available but if we don't have it, at a minimum social democracy let alone uh, democratic socialism we're not going to it's it's requ- it will require social a minimum of social democracy to deliver on the on the promise so of, the idea of, of those that, like, technologies uh, that there's
3: like a technological fix to all these problems is a myth within our current economic system that's right yeah, okay yeah, yeah.
0: there are no technical solutions to political problems but there are problems, technical yeah. necessities to political problems but the politics yeah. have to come first
2: yeah. We have yeah, we I mean the, 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 as Miel was saying a, a moment ago, the, the the bizarre thing is the that that people who say technology won't fix it fix anything, they themselves are um a, a, a basically fetishizing t- uh, technology. Right? Technology can change things it, tremendously, but it, but hand in hand with transformation of uh, of, 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 of of social relations.
1: Right.
0: And yeah. and technology is going to change things regardless. It's right. just mm-hmm. a matter of... It's just a matter of whether or not we get a hold of it. Yeah,
1: and what kind of technology will depend. And it's like, you know, and then that next and what kind of technology it'll be um, will also depend on the sort of, on the social relations, on the politics, right? And we can, there might be ways that like dystopian capitalism, you know, like solves climate change, but in a way that's only good for certain yeah, yeah, kills ninety like, percent bu- of it. Kills ninety yeah, percent, and yeah. then there there are inhabitable like bubbles in the middle of the ocean, like you know, there's you know, Peter Thiel's
3: sea steeding
1: Yeah, Mad Max and Waterworld. We fixed
2: or have largely fixed the ozone problem. We didn't need to get rid of capitalism for that, but what we did need was not the market. We needed regulatory intervention, and in this case, it's the same sort of thing. We need. Um, we, we can we can do this we can solve this but it will require something other than the market to uh, to do that to force and, that technology searching
3: and the and what you're proposing the alternative is plan is a kind of central central planning big massive state effort a green new deal yeah, yeah. absolutely absolutely Great there go. Um, well, and <laughs> so we now we solved that problem. <laughs> yeah. All right,
0: we solved that problem. Electrically dust off my hands. <laughs> all right, now to go coal rolling. <laughs> yeah, Lee and
3: uh, Mihai, thank you for uh, figuring it all out. The
0: book is uh, "People's Republic of Walmart," out from Verso Books. Uh, pick it up today. All right. Uh, yeah. Thanks seriously, guys.
3: thanks for joining us. Right. Thanks, Bye. thanks, guys.